dudes and dudettes on a actually very sunny and warm spring day, early spring 2021. Welcome back to The Anxious Truth, episode number 150150. 150 is kind of a milestone, I guess. Not as big as 100 or 200. It's like a milestone and a half. Anyway, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming by to hang out with me like you usually do. Today, we're going to talk about how to talk to your anxiety. So we've talked a lot about how you talk about your anxiety and your anxiety problem, your mental health in general. We've talked about that. How do you talk about it? The habit of how you talk about it. What do you say about your anxiety? But today we're going to talk about how you communicate with your anxiety. How do you talk to it? Because this is something that gets overlooked quite a bit that I think is often very misunderstood also. So that's what we're going to cover today. It won't be a marathon, I know, because there's not a lot to say about this, but what we do have to say is kind of important. But before I say that, I'm going to tell you about my book, The Recovery Guide. It's called The Anxious Truth, just like the podcast, a step-by-step guide to understanding and overcoming panic, anxiety, and agoraphobia. You can find it on my website at theanxioustruth.com slash recoveryguide. If you are looking for more help than you can get from the podcast or my social media posts, the book is written to be essentially like a course on recovering from an anxiety disorder. So it kind of walks you through these topics very sequentially and logically, covers things end to end, and it should put you in the right direction armed with a plan so you know what to do and how to execute that plan. So go check it out, theanxioustruth.com slash recovery guide if you have it already and you are digging it, then maybe take a second and write a review on Amazon. I would greatly appreciate that. It helps me out in a big way. Anywho, now that that's out of the way, let's talk about how to talk to your anxiety. So we talk all the time about how to talk about it. You know, you have habits in the way you speak about your anxiety, what you call it, the way you, you know, speak your fear out into the world and you indulge your fear. Sometimes we talked about all that stuff. So you can go back and go to my website and search like, uh, how do I talk about my anxiety? And anyway, I've done a few episodes. There's one episode called The Power of Words that talks about that. But today, what we're really interested in is how you talk to your anxiety. So this, and, and by the way, there's another very popular podcast episode that I did a couple of years ago called Why Positive Self-Talk is Bullshit. You can go to my website and search for that one. Very popular. And that is along the lines of this particular topic, too. Those, they'll go hand in hand, hand. So after you listen to this, you can go to listen to that one, too. So talking to your anxiety. Here's how you talk to your anxiety. First of all, why do you want to talk to your anxiety? And I can answer that pretty quickly. I think universally, everybody would say, well, because I want to make it stop, right? There's no reason to talk to anxiety other than to calm it down, to make it stop, to make it go away, to prevent it from happening. That's why you, you try to talk to your anxiety, right? There's no other reason. You don't need to tell, ask it what the weather is. It doesn't know who won the World Series. So you, you literally speak to it or try to communicate with your anxiety in an effort to make it stop. Please leave me alone. Please go away. I hate you. You're ruining my life. You're scaring the hell out of me. Why do you make me feel like I am going to die? Why do you make me feel like I am going to go crazy or lose control? These are the things that you probably say to your anxiety, right? So the reason why we, t- we want to talk to it or communicate with it is to try and make it go away, which of course is, is a mistake. You know, if you guys have been following me, listen to the podcast, reading the book, blah, blah, blah you know that that's not our primary goal. Primary goal is not to make it go away. That's a secondary effect. What we're learning to do is to change our relationship to anxiety and fear and panic, right? We're we're learning to react to it in new ways. We're learning to send new signals that over time 
will teach your brain to turn off this misfiring threat response. But we're not trying to ever make it go away. First, we're trying to learn to not be afraid of it. So how does that lead us to now talking to anxiety? You know, if you're going to talk to it and say, hey, you know, anxiety, I'm not afraid of you. You're a big old bully. You got no teeth, though. Come and get me. Okay, sometimes that's a thing. Some people will find some use in that, like, come and get me. Go ahead, I dare you. Bring it on. Give me more. Give me more. I've heard people do that sort of thing. Try and talk to their anxiety by saying, give me more. Give me more. Bring it. Bring it. And that, that's cool. I mean, in a way, that certainly indicates the mindset is correct, you know, and a grasp of the, the concept that like, oh, I have to learn to not be afraid of it. And I'm accepting on a logical standpoint, from a logical standpoint, I'm accepting that this is really not dangerous. It terrifies me. It's really uncomfortable. But I am logically accepting that it's not dangerous. And I, and I have to face that. So people who want to talk to their anxiety by saying things like bring it on, give me more, you're nothing, I ain't afraid of you. That's great, because that indicates that they understand. They get, they get what we're going for, right? So there's an understanding that. And it really helps in a big way. So that's good. However, it is important to understand that when you're trying to communicate with your anxiety, it doesn't really understand words, right? So first of all, it, I kind of have to point out that anxiety is not a sentient being, right? You can't necessarily really talk to it. And we talk about what it wants and what it does. And those are useful. We, anthrop we anthropomorphize our anxiety as if it has a mind of its own and it's acting based on choices that it is making. It has some sort of grand plan to ruin your life. We, I think we know that's not really true, but it helps us to conceptualize things when we, when we do that. So when you try to conceptualize your, uh, your anxiety as a bully, that's really, you know, not so strong or a toothless. I, I, I think I, one point in my, one of my books I wrote, not only did I slay the dragon, I learned that it actually had no teeth or it wasn't fire breathing. So we do those sort of things. And that's cool. But really, when we when we try to talk to anxiety by saying that I know you're not real, I know you I'm not afraid of you. You're really talking to yourself in that situation. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you're psyching, you're psyching yourself up, you're getting all pumped up and ready to do a hard thing, which is to face this really scary, uncomfortable thing that you don't want to face. But you've accepted that you have to do it. And you're getting yourself all pumped up and ready to go. You put yourself into the right mindset to go into that non-reactive mode, to let anxiety come and do its worst. That's good. You're really talking to yourself, though, when you do that. Because anxiety itself, does the, the mechanism of anxiety, right, the process of anxiety, doesn't really understand words. You know, we talk about this all the time. Anxiety being, the anxiety response, the fear response being the fight or flight response. Fight, I know there's more Fs. Fight, flight, fear, uh, freeze, fawn, right? But those are primal things. We talk about the amygdala, the lizard brain, primal brain, however way you want to describe it. Those responses to a threat that are part of our survival mechanisms, right, designed to keep us safe in the, in the face of danger, designed to make us act quickly without thinking, in a hurry, move, run, fight, do what we have to do to stay safe, right? So those mechanisms, the mechanisms of anxiety and panic and fear, are rooted in a part of your brain that doesn't really do logic, it doesn't do logic. That's not its jam. Anxiety isn't logical. It doesn't understand words. It doesn't understand song lyrics or poems or memes or inspirational quotes. It doesn't understand any of that stuff. In fact, really, it doesn't even hear them. You know, one of the coolest things I ever heard, I can't remember who, I, who, I, who said this, but I didn't invent this. Uh, you know, trying to talk to your anxiety with words or thoughts or, or, or images or things like that, trying to talk to anxiety that way is like trying to call somebody who has their phone turned off. Not only are you not, is it not listening to you, you can't even get it because the phone isn't even ringing. 
It has, there is no effective available line of communication between you and your anxiety and those processes based on words or thoughts or inspirational quotes. I know I pick on that stuff all the time. If you like inspirational quotes, go for it. I have no problem with that. But you can't, you can't throw them at your anxiety because your anxiety doesn't, it doesn't, has no idea. It doesn't have eyes. It doesn't know. It doesn't really know. So it can't read. It can't listen to you. It doesn't care about what you're thinking. It only cares about keeping you safe and triggering very basic primal responses. Danger, run. Danger, fight. Danger, freeze. Whatever your response is, those are automatic. They're built in. You don't get control over those for the most part, right? So we can't really try to talk to it as if we're having a conversation. So how do we talk to our anxiety? Because in the end, if we're trying to teach that part of our brain, if you're trying to teach your amygdala, your lizard brain, your reptile brain, your ancient brain, whatever, if you're, your emotional brain, I've heard that too, the logical brain, the emotional brain, however you conceptualize, that's fine. But if you're trying to teach that part of your brain that is beyond your reach in terms of how we communicate with each other on a day-to-day -day basis, if you're trying to teach it that it is wrong, and if you've read my book, I mean, I spent a lot of time really getting to the meat and potatoes of this faulty cognitive link. Your brain has made a link between discomfort and danger that doesn't have to be there, right? So if you're trying to teach it a new lesson, unlearn that fear, break that faulty connection, right? Teach it that it does not need to trigger the threat response. It's, it's been wrong all this time. How can you teach it if you can't talk to it? I can't, I can't think at it. I can't speak at it. I can't sing to it. Can't show it like posters of quotes. I keep going back to quotes here. So how do I do that? How do I communicate with it? Well, I'll tell you, the way you talk to your anxiety is through behavior. That's how you talk to your anxiety. You must talk to your anxiety with your body. That's the way it works. So the only thing that it understands, the only thing that that part of your brain understands is experience and sensation. That's all it really knows. It's going to take input and it's going to process it and then make a choice based on the input that it gets. So the best that you can do when you are trying to talk to your anxiety, and the reason why you want to talk to it, go back to the beginning, is because you're trying to calm down. You're trying to get it to stop. We can't get it to stop instantaneously with words. We already know this. But over time, if you're going to teach it a new lesson, if you're going to teach your amygdala the lesson that says, dude, thank you for trying to keep me alive. I appreciate it. But you have been wrong about this. And you're, you're killing me now, dude. Like this is essentially what you're trying. I'm making light of it. But this is what you're really doing. You're talking to you're trying to talk to that part of your brain. You're killing me, brother. Like I know you're trying to keep me alive, but you are you're killing me here. Because you've been wrong for the last 10 years. Every time I get in the car and drive on the highway, you think I'm running into a burning building and you're wrong. I got to teach you, man. I got to teach you. You want to shake your amygdala and say, can't you see that there's nothing wrong here? The way you can make that, have that conversation with your anxiety is to not try to have a conversation with it. So when I made a podcast episode years ago called Why Positive Self-Talk is Bullshit, this is what I'm talking about. Many people, when they get into that anxiety state, the panic state, the threat response is triggered. They're afraid. They're beside themselves. They got to escape this. It's terrible. It feels terrible. I get that. I understand how that feels. I was you once. Well, use positive affirmations. I need to do my mantras. This too shall pass. I got this. I'm strong. I'm a warrior. Blah, 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 blah. You're nothing. You're a bully. That's all good. You're talking to you, though. You're talking to you. You're speaking to yourself and hoping that somehow you will be able to change this reaction. 
but you can't. Not at that moment. So you can have those conversations with yourself beforehand, even after. That's, those are great conversations to have with yourself afterwards. Wow, I did it, and I didn't die. Look at that. I stood up to the bully. I did it. Those are great conversations to have with yourself or beforehand. Like, all right, I'm doing, this is a hard exposure today that I'm going to do. Let me think about this. I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to want to run, but it's a bully. It's toothless. I can do this. I can do hard things. I'm strong. That's a great conversation to have with yourself before you go into the challenging situation. Or even as you feel the anxiety starting to rise. Okay, here it comes. No problem. I can, I can do this. I got this. I know what to do. But then you have to communicate with your fear itself. Now, when the, when the chips are down and you are actually in the fire, now you must communicate with your lizard brain, with the anxiety, with your amygdala. And how can we do that? How can we talk to it? We can only talk to it through action. That's it. We must send it signals. It's the only thing it's going to understand is the signals that we send it behaviorally, bodily, physically. And those signals look something like this. I know you want me to get out of my chair and run out this door right now to nothing to we I don't even know what you want me to run from or to. But I know that you're giving me this tremendous urge to run. So I'm not going to run. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit still. And not only am I going to sit still, I'm going to make my very best effort to relax the muscles in my body and to slow down. When that threat response, that primal threat response is just telling you speed up, run, run, rush, 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 rush. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. The only way you can talk to it and try to teach your brain that lesson that it needs in that moment is to send it signals from a behavioral standpoint. I'm going to stay put. I'm going to relax. I'm going to control my breathing. I'm going to put my focus somewhere productively instead of on this false fear. This is what I'm going to do. That is how you communicate with your anxiety. How do I talk to my anxiety? You do it in action. You do it with actions. You do it physically, bodily. That's how you communicate with it. That is not easy. It is so much easier to say 10,000 words during a panic attack than it is to just relax your body for 45 seconds. Believe me, I get that. I absolutely get that. I would much rather just speak a crap load of words to make it go away. But I tried that. You've tried that. It, doesn't go, it hasn't worked so far, right? It hasn't worked so far. Plus, when you do that and the panic runs its course, as it normally would anyway, because adrenaline is self-limiting, you will not have a 12-hour panic attack. You just won't. You know, if you really sat down and looked at that and hooked yourself with electrodes and, and measured all that stuff, you would see that it ebbs and flows because that's the way the human body just works. And you can argue with me all you want, but you would be wrong. So when the panic ebbs, as it usually will, it will start to wane after a while because your body cannot sustain that level all the time. You will have made another cognitive mistake. Whew, I talked myself out of that. Yeah, you didn't. Because all those words that you were throwing at the anxiety, all the mantras, all the you got this, this too shall pass, this is nothing, it's just anxiety, wasn't listening. Not listening, doesn't have the headphones, it has the headphones on, it's listening to its own thing. So it cannot even hear you. The phone is off. It's not answering. It doesn't even know you're trying to call. But you think that you talked yourself down. So that is not talking to your anxiety. That is talking to you and a higher part of your brain that then says, oh, okay, cool. Look, what, look, 
I talked myself out of this. You interpret that then at a higher level as I, I got myself out of that one. Good thing I used my words. Good thing I used my mantras and my affirmations. No, they were pointless. I didn't do anything. In fact, many times they prolong the agony because when you do, I got this, I got this, but then eight seconds later, it really feels like you don't got this. Then that's not working and it escalates the anxiety response even more. So often those things just prolong the agony. But to get to the point of how, how should I talk to my anxiety when the chips are down? How do I teach my amygdala, my lizard brain, these lessons if I can't speak to it, Drew? If, I, if it's not listening to my words, you do it with your actions. So the reason why we talk all the time about doing the opposite, about relaxing your muscles, about learning how to breathe properly, about learning how to focus and use basic focus training and meditation and relaxation skills is not because I want to turn you into some sort of like lotus position guru. I don't care about that in any way. But those are the skills that we use, the tools that we use to speak to our anxiety. How do I talk to my anxiety? I talk to it by relaxing my body. I talk to it by sticking my, putting my chin up in the air and actually continue to walk forward instead of shrinking and rounding my shoulders and, and looking at the ground and going into a fearful pose. I, I speak to it by not taking giant heavy sighs because they think they're cleansing breaths or grounding breaths. Because when I do that, I, I mess up my blood gases and I might be more prone to hyperventilating. So I'm just going to breathe normally in a controlled fashion, even though what I want to do is I want to do that. I really want to do that because I think that will calm me down, but it doesn't. So I'm going to send my amygdala lessons with my breath, with my posture, with how I'm moving my body through space, with the, with the amount of tension that I'm going to allow to exist in my body. I'm going to teach my amygdala lessons by where I put myself, by where I put my focus intentionally. I'm not going to leave the grocery store. I'm going to stay in the grocery store. That is how you communicate with it. So I know that you want the words to do a thing. I know you do, and I know you're trying desperately to speak not only about your anxiety to anybody who will listen, but to it. I know you're trying to calm it down with words. You can't. You can only speak to your anxiety with your body and with experiences. I had a wicked panic attack on the Long Island Expressway, level 10, five alarm, whatever you want to call it, mother of all panic attacks. I've heard all, I've used them and I've heard all the escalation phrases and I kept driving on the Long Island Expressway. And in the end, the experience was, hey, that didn't kill me as much as I thought it was gonna. Hey, I didn't go crazy as much as I was convinced at the moment that I was going to. I didn't. I didn't. So I let the worst possible outcome that I fear the most, I just surrendered and let it be true. And then I did the opposite of what I want to do. Relaxed my body, controlled my breathing, stood my ground, stayed there, didn't run, right? Intentionally put my focus back on the road instead of the screaming in my head that told me to go get save myself. And it passed anyway. It passed and nothing happened. That is how I teach my lizard brain, my amygdala. That's how you will teach your amygdala the lessons it needs to learn. Sadly, it doesn't learn those lessons instantaneously. You can't teach it those lessons in one shot. That would be great. I would love it if we could. But we can't. We can learn to be afraid and we can develop a phobic response pretty much instantaneously.
you love dogs, but if you get bit by a dog today, there's a chance that you will develop a phobia, a real phobia of dogs the minute you get bit. Boom. Five seconds later, you are afraid of dogs. You have a phobia. And the same thing happens, unfortunately, with panic and anxiety, disordered anxiety. But you can't unlearn it that fast. So it's great the first time you do this thing that I'm talking about. The first time you ever do it, it's like, man, you feel like a superpower, a superhero. It feels amazing. Holy cow, I did it. And when you when people comment like into my Facebook group, finally, after a month of reading or whatever, and finally say, Oh, my God, I think I got it today. I truly did nothing. I truly surrendered to the anxiety. I truly relaxed my body. I let myself die, pass out or go crazy. And it didn't happen. When they have that light bulb moment. Oh, my God, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Really, what they did is they found the way to communicate with their anxiety. They stopped trying to use threat-based responses, tension, holding, grasping, running, screaming, all of those things. You know, they stopped trying to use those responses and they used the opposite responses. They used relaxation, controlling their breath, standing their ground, not running, not trying to be saved, putting their focus somewhere else. They communicated with their anxiety. And invariably, the story will go, hey, it was rough. I didn't really like it. It was super scary. But oh my God, it ended. It went away. I didn't do anything and it went away. Yeah. Like you actually sent it the right signals. The sig You spoke the language it understands. So in the end, your anxiety and the centers of your brain where it exists and originates from only understands signals. It either understands the signal of green light, we're good, everything's cool here, or red light. OMFG, we got to get the hell out of here. That's all it knows. So when you launch into save me, save me, save me, escape, avoid, escape, avoid, call for help, run for help, you are literally sending red light signals, red alert signals back to your brain. It understands that as I triggered a threat response and she or he responded with, mm-hmm, we got a problem here. So I guess I was right. And it keeps going. Right, so you, you are absolutely you are like giving it a pat on the head. Thank you, good job, amygdala. It understands either the red light response, holy crap, red alert, battle stations, or it understands the green light response. We're cool, all good. So your amygdala is either at DEFCON one or five. Which way do you want to be? So while it wants you to be at DEFCON five, thermonuclear war, you got to act like you're at DEFCON one. All is quiet on the Western Front. That's what you have to do. That's how you speak to your anxiety. That's how you tell it, mm, thanks for the trying to keep me alive, but you're wrong. We don't need to do that right now. And when we repeat that and we get really good at it, over time, things change. And then it, it knows, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because every time I sound this alarm, she does nothing but relax and sit in her chair and nothing happens. So I guess I don't need to do this. And over time, it stops doing it. That's how you do it. So that's, that's the answer to the question. How do I talk to my anxiety? The answer is you don't. You don't tell it. You show it. I'm going to repeat that, actually. You do not tell your anxiety, your amygdala, your lizard brain, anything. You can only show it. It does not understand words or thoughts or concepts or principles or books or my podcast. It only understands signals and experiences 
That's it. So how does that tie into all the time I spend talking into this stupid microphone? You learn when I talk into the microphone, or I write a book, or you see me on Instagram or in the Facebook group, you learn what you have to do. But all the knowing the words, blah, 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 you can't regurgitate my words back at your anxiety, because it is not interested in me at all. So you talk to it by showing it. So for those of you that feel stuck right now, like if I could just find something to click, then I'll get it. The problem here is that you are still trying to probably talk to your anxiety instead of showing it. Right? Things only change after the doing. You're trying to find a more gentle way. Like if I could just talk about it, if I could talk to it, talk it down. No, well, you can't. You've been trying. It's not going to work. Right? So it only understands signals. It doesn't understand words. Don't repeat my words at your anxiety because it doesn't give a rat's ass about me. It doesn't know who I am. And then that's fine. It doesn't have to. You have to show it. It understands red light or green light. Which one are you going to give it? Next time the anxiety hits you, are you going to give it red light and reward it for going into a needless panic? Or are you going to give it green light and teach it that I don't need your threat response right now? Which one? So there you go. All right, 25 minutes. It's never short. It's just never going to be short. I thought this was going to be like a 10-minute one. It's not. It's a 25-minute podcast episode. That's the way it's going to go. All right, guys. Hopefully, this has been helpful for you. I'm a play afterglow. And Ben, if you're listening to this, I don't know if you listen to these anymore. Thank you for the song. And I know that we're dealing with all kinds of crazy music industry stuff when I use this song, but I really do want to use it, and I appreciate it. And if you guys are enjoy afterglow, you hear it in the beginning, you hear it in the end, go check out Ben. He's at bendrakemusic.com, and he's a great dude. He's also been on the podcast doing a, a success story, so check it out. And as always, if you are listening on iTunes or some sort of platform that lets you rate or review the podcast, take two minutes, leave a five-star rating, and, and write me a paragraph that says you like the podcast. I do it to help people, and that helps other people find the podcast. So I appreciate that. And by the way, what you're doing is working because suddenly the podcast is trending in mental health in the big countries, in the U.S., the U.K., and Canada, Germany, so whatever you guys are doing, it's working, and thank you very much. All right, peeps, I'll see you next week. Enjoy the music, and uh, as always, you know the deal, right? This is The Way. It's all around you, you can breathe it in. This is where your story begins. You got the feeling that you're going to win.